0: Hey, thanks so much for listening in to The Better Podcast. Wherever you're listening to this from, I want to say a big thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Philip, for taking some time to, to be with us today to talk about something that you've been passionate about for a really long time.
1: Well, thank you for having me, first of all, uh, to speak to you guys about something I'm you know, very passionate about and it's like my my bread and butter. Um, where Well, basically where I work right now, I work in a global macro hedge fund, which is the hedge fund is a an alternative investment vehicle which attracts certain either high net worth individuals, sovereign wealth funds, um, endowment funds, pension funds, basically any sort of entity which is cash flow rich mm-hmm. has a large amount of capital and wants to invest it over a foreseeable fu- for like a foreseeable future. Like uh, it could be five years, 10 years, it could be six months and have desired returns. So mm-hmm. we'll de- um, each fund has their own mandate. And the fund that I work for, we work on a mandate which is called CPI plus 4%, which is essentially U.S. inflation plus 4%. So that is the target return we, we aim to deliver to our, our clients, to our investors. Mm-hmm. And, um,
0: so essentially, yeah. if I was really rich, I had a block of money that I wanted to park somewhere that would make money, I would give it to yeah, you and you exactly. would be able to give me in return U.S. Uh, inflation plus 4% at the end of well, X amount of uh,
1: years. That's a target. So obviously um, matching that target, you know, year on year is not that easy because it's a very complicated, uh, you know, landscape, but yeah, um, it's not, not that, you don't actually need that much money to be very, to be very honest, because a lot of funds have um, investment, you know, you need like a hundred thousand dollars capital, which, you know, most people have that in, in a range of investments, it could be from, through their house, through inheritance, whatever it is. $100,000 in today's world is not as much as it was 30 years ago. Right. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're considered one of the, we're, again, it's an alternative investment vehicle. So it's a bit more aggressive. The style is a bit more exotic. It's not like a bank account that gives you 2% interest.
0: Gotcha. Um, so how old are you, Philip? Yeah,
1: 25.
0: And how, how old were you when you started to you know, gain interest in this world?
1: Um, I would say I was always curious from about like mid-teens, like 15, 16. I saw like, my parents watching Bloomberg all the time. It was in the background and that sort of stuff. And people talked about, you know, the markets everywhere I went. So I was fascinated. Mm-hmm. But I was still, you know, you know being young teenager, just sort of figuring life out around you at the same time. So probably about the age of 20, about the age of 20, I, pro- I was sort of, you know, I was like, okay, this is really cool. I'm really into this. It actually happened. I was in a, I was doing an internship in a law firm Mm -hmm. and it was so boring. It was like construction law. And I was like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) I'm not doing doing this. And I was just reading, I was reading like articles in CNBC and Bloomberg about these, you know, these market sectors and inflation and like risk and all these, all these concepts that I've never heard of. And I was just really interested in. Mm -hmm. And that's where my journey sort of like, that's the first proper memory I can have. And after that, it was a lot, it was a, uh, a long, a a long, but enjoyable. Like you, you look back and you go like, wow, that's doesn't feel that long ago. But, um, a lot of, a lot of learning, just buying books, talking to people, watching television, experimenting, all that came, all that comes together to, to sort of, you know, build this journey.
0: So how did it start in the sense that did you start experimenting with your own money? Did you have parents who had money who you could take and learn from?
1: It started with like, after I, you know, obviously was captivated by everything else, reading and seeing and mm-hmm. hearing about. And I bought a bunch of books and then I read all those books like, and then I was like, okay, these books are done. I'm going to f- go find more books. And at the same time, I was saving up my own money. So at the time I wanted to join a brokerage called Interactive Brokers. And they needed, uh, anyone under the age of 25 needs a $3,000 deposit, mm-hmm. um, a minimum cash account of $3,000. So I was like, I had like half of that saved up. Mm-hmm. And my my dad was like, sure, like I'll float you a thousand five and then you pay me back. So he did. And then I paid him back incrementally after that. And um, yeah, and then that's where the actual physical experimentation, you know, started. Like I was reading about I was reading about companies like Blackberry and like Apple and like ExxonMobil and all that sort of stuff online and I was, you know, developing my own views about that and that's where I started experimenting with my own form of investments. Right. And I was putting real Do you remember your first investment? Yeah, I do. It was weirdly enough. It was either Pandora or Tiffany and Co. Because, but it was an investment. It was a trade. I was like, I mean, you know, those yeah. are used to change, but like, I saw like in the pre-market it was popping, and I was like, I didn't. Ex- I thought it was going to taper off slightly, so I went short. I went short, which is basically betting that the price would come down. Mm-hmm. So when it rolled over from the pre-market to the market open, mm-hmm. the price actually tapered off slightly and I made like a dollar and 10 cents. And I was like, I'm God at this stage. I'm still <laughs> weapons.
0: Um, so you made money on your first trade on your very first attempt.
1: Yeah, but that was like... A dollar and 10, was, but still money. Uh, luck and randomness. Like I just weaned it. There's n- That's not a trading strategy. Like Shorting pre-market... Into the market open isn't as is a strategy I've never heard of before. I'm sure someone someway is making a lot of money off it, but it's not something that I would advocate because I'm not in the position to talk. <laughs> 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 the style,
0: right? I mean, right now we're still just mostly talking about you and your experiences, so don't worry too much about that. But
1: shorted everything in the pre-market. This guy said I was going to make so much money. all comes back
0: to buy me now. So, so I want to I pull us back a little bit before we go deeper because it's easy when okay. you're so good at what you do to forget that, you know, to the layperson, all
1: mm-hmm. that
0: jargon is very hard to understand. So sure. maybe give us a little bit of a, a layman understanding of what it means to invest in the markets versus okay. keeping all your money in, like, say, like a bank account. Okay, cool.
1: Yep. Well, I mean... Um, I don't want to differentiate that too much because at the end of the day, both are both are forms of investments. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's if you're investing in the markets or you're leaving your money in your bank account, they're both investments because they're both giving you you know specified returns.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what basically what investment is, right? Putting your money somewhere that will give you dividends, yeah. no matter how big or small. Yeah.
1: Exactly, and you may you may find yourself in a situation where you don't actually get returns; you just get your money is preserved. That's a form of an investment you're, you're being, if you get the same amount back in two years time, you're still beating things like maybe inflation or negative interest rates. All that has to be taken into account. Okay. Um, but yeah, so like the difference is, the difference is the stock market or like the investment market is what we call the capital markets, right? So the capital markets, you can slice them. to, um, you know, but if you bought stock in a company, that's Mm -hmm. the stock market because you, you are what you're called a partial owner of the firm. You're, you own a stake in them. Mm -hmm. Um, if you went out and bought, purchase bonds, uh, that's essentially debt of a company or it can be debt of governments. Right. Um, the difference is that there's a, there's, a, there's a menu of risks that are completely different when you leave your money in your bank account. When you leave money in your bank account, you are more, more often than not guaranteed a percentage return and then your money is going to be locked in. It's preserved. You get capital, get capital preservation. But if you invest in the stock market, there is a risk that the price goes down. So you mm-hmm. actually lose on um, that investment.
0: So in a sense, the higher the risk, the higher the potential reward.
1: Um, not that correlation has, is in historically been around in most fields, but at the same time, what a lot of funds out there, including my own, what we try and do is we try to maximize our return by minimizing our risk that gets a bit more, um, specific and exotic and that sort of stuff. But, um, in layman, in layman terms. Yes. Okay. More, more often than not you require. You, it re- requires you to t- take a bit more risk with what you're doing, but then again, there's a, there's a very key element of that which can override everything that I've said. is, is time horizon. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking if you're looking to make a certain amount over the next fifty years, the risks associated with that are very different than a, than risk associated with six years. Okay. So a good example would be that, especially the millenn- like the millennial generation. So our generation is under the assumption that property you know property prices always go up, mm-hmm. and that if you money in a house, you'll be fine. But if you think about, if you boil it down, what a house actually is, it's, it's also an investment, it's an asset, correct? But over the course, typical bank loans, if you take a, if you take a loan out for a house, you, you're going to end up paying two and a half times over the 30 year period. Right. Um, if you look at that comparatively to certain stock market indexes, mm. that actually outperforms. So it actually return. what I mean by outperforms, it actually returns more than two and a half percent. And then if you t- think about the downside risk, um, you could have a you know freak accident where, you, for example, the neighborhood that you live in is a gigantic fire and everything gets burnt down. You lose all your money because um, you lose all your assets, right? Mm-hmm. So your net worth is in that house. But the odds, I mean, the odds of the stock market going from you know maybe in the U.S. S and P five hundred going from its current price you know two six two seven going to zero are a lot are a lot less in my mind at least mm-hmm. um, because that would require some of the largest most diversified heavyweight companies in the entire world going under. And mm. if, if that happened, that would be the end of capitalism together. It doesn't matter whether you had any money after that, like you were going back to the Stone Age. So again, it's very, um, it can be very, uh, it can be very subjective
0: on, on an individual's time horizon. Okay. okay.
1: yeah they're about twenty cool um well i can I'll talk about how I felt but i actually want to split i want to actually split the those two um those two up in a way I wouldn't call that my first investment I'll definitely say it's my first trade because it was a very very short term move and I was just trying essentially just trying to make a quick buck but um help me i I'll, I'll talk about that and then I'll talk about my first actual investment um how that made me it was it was exhilarating because you, you know, uh, you pressing a bunch of buttons on a screen and, and you took a guess on something. It was a punt and you made money out of that. That's a, it's, it's a, it's a sensational experience and something else that it's, 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 that was a gamble. That's gambling. And that's why so many people get a, get a high from gambling because it's like, it's the sensation of winning. It's the sensation of beating everyone else. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's how I would describe that um, accelerating. And in a way it can be addictive because, because you, comes in, right? Because you think you've won once, you can always win. You you made money one time. You're always going to make money, especially when it's your first go. Um, there's many lessons I learned after that, which taught me that that's definitely not the case. But onto my first, my first investment would be in a company called, which we all used to know, Blackberry. And how I went about making that investment was, um, just a series of, uh, just a selection of information that I acquired. And through, you know, reading, most of, most of it was reading. So I took a look at their um, financial statements. You know, I, I, I didn't know anything about what a balance sheet was or a cash flow or, or any of that. So I looked up all that online and sort of, as a novice, a complete amateur, you know, put a couple of things together. And I was like, actually, I'm, I think this company has some upside. And actually, the real the kicker for me was the, the CEO. So it was, a, it was a gentleman named John Chen who was, I believe he was at Oracle for a while. And Oracle is a very large, like the largest cloud company in the world. And he, t- he he did a lot to turn around one of the divisions of the entire company. And he joined BlackBerry a couple, slightly a couple months before I made the investment. And I was, if anything, I was just betting on him. I was betting on the the skill and the talent, the experience that this man had to turn around companies. And yeah, that that's sort of how I went about. I don't do that. Well, that's what we call an equity investment. A stock a stock market investment into a specific company is, a, is what equity analysts do and it's not my field. So I I, I sort of I got out of that quite uh, quite shortly after that. Not the position, not the investment, but um that field of investing is not my not my thing. But yeah, that's sort of where where I uh what I looked at and that's to be honest it was nowhere a, near it.
0: Yeah, I mean um, I was gonna highlight that that's such a different um I guess, approach compared to your first uh, little gamble that you made where you were just kind yeah, of like, course. well, let me just pick one random racehorse. And, oh, my God, it won. And yeah, versus exactly. this was, you know, very calculated. Rollers, well, let's take a look at their balance sheet, everything weighed out together. Um, yeah. What was the time gap between those two? How much time as in what, what age were you when you made that investment in BlackBerry?
1: That was, like, that was probably like a month or two after. I can't, I can't really um, remember. It was a while ago. But it was definitely in that in that phase, that early early portion of my journey where I was just sort of figuring how figuring things out, how the market worked as a whole and how all these elements came together to to form this this world of finance, right? I was still just an amateur, still am in a lot of ways. But gotcha. Yeah, so that's definitely not long after.
0: Mm. Have you ever had an investment that's failed really badly for you?
1: Oh yeah, big time. Personally
0: Uh, or I mean, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about the, the ones at work, but...
1: No, no, no. Personally, yeah. <laughs> um, what? Okay, so this is, like, rookie... Not rookie era. It's one of the rookie eras, like, the biggest... Everyone makes their own rookie era, but it's right. what, what we call, like... So this was actually, like, 2016. When was Brexit? 16, right? Mm. Yeah, Brexit was July 16. So when... I was trading on an account style called margin and margin is where you, it it gives you, it allows you to trade certain products, uh, futures, futures, options, that sort of stuff where you put up a, a a small percentage of the actual contract size. I won't go too far into it because it gets very, there's a lot of way too complicated terms in that, but uh, say I'll put up the 10% of the, the amount I need, but I can have, for example, if I want to if I want to buy a product that's a hundred thousand dollars, I can I only need to spend ten thousand dollars and I can have that product. Mm. So I was trading on a margin account, which means it's just it's just basically leverage. You're leveraging your exposure, and with margin accounts, that's just how they're structured,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it allows it gives you access to these products. And I was very I was overexposed to the dollar yen, so USD JPY. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the dollar yen mm-hmm. uh, currency at about like one I'm probably like 106, probably high, no, probably higher, closer to like 108, 110. And it's a little bit of background the, on, the, on the yen. The yen is what we call a risk off currency. So mm. anytime, anytime stuff starts to hit the fan and the, the risk sentiment comes off and everyone gets quite negative, mm. um, the, the yen, the, the Japanese yen rallies quite sufficiently. Mm. It's a barometer of risk. Mm. and obviously brexit rolled around and everyone was like oh yeah that's the end of europe's game over and the yen started to rally very heavily and obviously i was betting the opposite way mm. so a very large chunk of my account got uh got wiped that right. day because i because I, I it was i was in a position where i was over leveraged so i had to right. actually sell that position at a very big loss mm. yes if i hold it, if i held it for six months and held my view i would have um i would have come out on top but you know you didn't know that was that was a rookie error, right? I was overexposed. I was mm-hmm. over leveraged and I wasn't expecting that sort of uh, that sort of a move from from the dollar. yen. So, yeah, that was, that was big. <laughs> that was huge.
0: And that's fairly uh, recent. Uh, yeah. twenty. 20- well, about yeah. 18
1: months. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. It's um, somewhat recent for sure. Uh,
0: how did you bounce back from that?
1: I went back to the drawing board, you know, I went back to, I knew my, I knew my mistake straight away. So it wasn't, it wasn't some cathartic moment where I had to, you know, reanalyze my entire investment strategy. I knew what I was doing and I knew my mistake. And from that day on, I'm very, very particular about how much risk I have on the table and how exposed I am. Yes. I'm looking exactly, I analyze all the investments I make, right? I analyze all the trades. So since then, obviously I could have tuned up some here and there and really tuned my exposure. But more often than not, I'm very, yeah, basically always, I'm very strict about how much margin I'm putting up and how much, how much my exposure is. Because you, ha- you go through a lesson like that and you lose a significant amount of capital for a guy my age and you're just, I'm just like, that lesson can never go away.
0: Right. This is sort of where I kind of wanted to take the conversation to it's like, what, do you, how has this changed your um, view on money or has it, like growing up with this interest around money, how's that, how does that influenced you?
1: I wouldn't say it's an interest in money, I'm or at least, yeah, in interest in financial markets. Yeah, but I, I definitely get where you're going. Um, how has it changed? So you, I went to, uh, through a period where I was, um, I was having a bit of a hot streak. I was making a fair amount of money, and obviously, when you make more money, you spend more money. And I started spending money which I had, at, a, at a ridiculous rate. Right, my cash burn was so high, and I was spending money without a proper income. In, right, I wasn't capital in my account. I just, I literally was just spending money on my trading profits. And it was stupid. It got to a point where it was just ridiculous. And, but internally something changed. I, some of the things I was purchasing, the, the, the marginal return, the utility I was gaining from it, um, it became very unfulfilling after a while. Cause it was just like, well, you know, that looked a lot cooler in the movies <laughs> and you go and do it. And I'm like, mm, it doesn't make, right. it doesn't leave a lasting sensation of joy.
0: Right was there ever a point yeah. where you just lived solely out of like doing this like before you had a job you were just trading trying to make a buck like um, after after college before getting a job that sort of thing?
1: No, not really i was I was doing it all through all through college right mm-hmm. and then so I was kind of like on a student budget the entire time as well as doing this
0: okay so, so you were pretty yeah. flush. With cash as a, as a student. You didn't live through the budget yeah. college student yeah. life.
1: Definitely not even close. It was ridiculous.
0: That, that's bound to give you some very different opinions in terms of money where oh, half yeah. of your friends are like on student loans and debts. And
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're a bit so that, you know, definitely the Australian population is a bit more blessed because the government does actually cover the,
0: mm-hmm. the,
1: um, the education costs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was, it was things like going out Going to parties or like restaurants and and just being able to buy whatever I wanted to buy and but yeah it didn't it didn't make a difference like it didn't like the first couple of times I was like oh this is sick I, you know this is fantastic I'm the coolest guy around and then after a while I was like like I don't really enjoy half of this stuff so right it's not fulfilling like it didn't make a difference whether you spend eight hundred dollars in shoes or you spend like hundred fifty dollars in shoes it did after a while like after like three times of wearing it you don't feel the difference
0: right and then what happens then.
1: And then I it was what I, I just started to strip away all the elements of my life that I didn't actually find fulfilling. So what I did find fulfilling was making accurate investments and investing uh, was my passion. So I found working in that field and doing what I was doing fulfilling. So I just kept doing that. It, but on, on the lifestyle side, yeah, certain things I enjoy, I would spend more money on, right? Mm-hmm. So if we went to like a really nice restaurant, I'd probably end up spending more money there because it's part of an experience. Mm-hmm. But then if I was to say, you know, you know, people like to go out and spend like thousands of dollars in a club mm-hmm. at, with alcohol and stuff like that. Meh, you're yeah. not pretty meh, but I'm, It doesn't, doesn't really, doesn't really attract me as much as I'm sure it did three years ago. Mm. So you start to, you sort of analyze your personal life and look at the things that actually you're willing to part, you're willing to attribute value to. Mm-hmm. And once you can attribute value to those areas of your life or areas that you're interested in, then you are willing to spend money in those areas. If you're not, if you don't find it attractive anymore, if your mindset changes, if it's not there for a long time, you don't value it, you're not going to spend money there.
0: Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. true. That's really true. How did you grow yeah. up in terms of like, were your parents... um, w- w- Did you grow up in a rich household?
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. My parents uh, very well. Definitely at least in the... Would
0: the you say that percent. they were careful about money or would you say that like, they kind of taught you how to be a bit more discerning? No, my parents were pretty...
1: Pretty uh hands off when it came to that sort of stuff,
0: mm.
1: I think because they knew that my brothers and I were quite independent because we we grew up around the world and that sort of stuff, so they knew that the lessons that that we would need to learn the world would teach us well. I'm not saying they, they wouldn't teach us. Mm. They taught us a lot of very you know important lessons as well, but at the same time, they just for whatever reason they took it the hand off their hands off approach and it, I had to figure out figure out a lot of stuff individually when I was studying overseas, when I was in Australia and that sort of stuff. And yeah, it, 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 yeah, the the life is life is, although it can be the hardest teacher, but it's also the best teacher because it really, it's, it's objective. It's clean. You know, you can, you can get advice from other people about, about finances, but if, unless you go out and actively, you know, check your bank account, check your spending, um, reanalyze your spending habits, look at your investments, that sort of stuff, it doesn't mean anything. But if you overspend and you're in crushing credit card debt, that's you, like, no one's going to save you from
0: that. <laughs> so I think that one, one of the reasons why, like, it piqued my interest to talk to you about this is because it's very hard to find people who are actually in banking who, or investment banking who are actually very passionate about it. A lot of people are there oh, just yeah. because <laughs> the money's good. And so I think what was interesting was that you actually verbalized um, what it is that you enjoy, the, the more successful you got, the less important that outcome became. And the more important, the process of, you know, making the right bets, making the accurate predictions and all those things became. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I think my question for you, it might be a bit of a lead on would be, what do you, what would you say to people who are very afraid of making investments because they're either uneducated or just feel like they're ill-equipped to deal with that that whole side of things?
1: Okay. Um, well, again, that's two parts to that question. The, the the ill-equipped part, uh, I'll I'll sort of tackle first. Mm -hmm. The ill-equipped part, I mean, I'm like, I'll be very frank about it. The the ill-equipped part is honestly a really bad excuse because we live in the era of, of internet. You have internet on your phone. Everyone has Instagram, everyone has Facebook, everyone has Snapchat, everyone has Google. You, if I told, if I asked you, what was the recipe to make penne a la or something? and you could whip out Google and find that out in 30 seconds, you can look up what the U.S. interest rate is. You're just, you're just afraid because the term interest rate scares you. So you need to come to terms with the fact that that information is available. Mm-hmm. Times have changed. The, the The information asymmetry in the financial markets has been, a lot of it has been removed. Mm. So ill-equipped is... That you're ill equipped in the sense you may be inexperienced, yeah, but the information is out there, so you need to go get if you really care about this sort of stuff and you want to take control of your financial well being, you need to go out there and you need to learn this stuff because it's going to affect your day to day for the rest of your life and it's an invaluable lesson. So, you need to actually be, you know, quite um, in a way, you've got to be dedicated, you've got to be serious about it, and sit down and say, okay, what are the things I need to know? Who are the people I can talk to, who I can trust, who actually can share with me this stuff? Mm-hmm. I'm going to spend time every day. Um, monitoring my spending, monitoring, understanding at least the bare basics of of the financial markets. Whether it comes like credit card payments, for example, or house loans, that's basically, honestly, all you really need to know. But know it well enough that you're aware of where your money is, where it's going, um, and how much you want to make in the future, how much is sustainable, and that's all available on the internet. There's like online calculators for loans and stuff like that. It's really straightforward.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: yeah, that's about yeah. Up. yeah
0: um that's that's good advice i mean that's true a lot of the a lot of the money that used to be made in i guess in that in your industry is based Um, on just the the knowledge of it right so i'm in a position a privileged position to have this knowledge therefore i can i'm able to make a profit out of the the knowledge that i have but with the internet
1: it's not as much there anymore Yeah. yeah
0: with the internet now it's pretty much anybody's game um where would you advise people to start looking, say if I'm a 27 year old, um, not even fresh grad, at this point I've graduated, I've worked for four years, you know, I've got a little bit of money in the bank, where do I start?
1: Probably not cryptocurrencies. I'm not going to advocate that. On the- <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: Why not? Okay, let's talk Bitcoin I, real quick. Why not? I, 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 don't, I
1: don't know enough about it, so I can't I can't comment on or speculate on what that is going to do. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's completely out of my field. You're going to have to talk to someone else, I'm afraid. <laughs> but, but tying back to your question, um, so you're working a couple of years, you gotta, you got to you know a bit, bit saved up. I would probably look into... Just look into sort of understanding what what this what the stock market is look at what you know because that's a at, at a younger age you have the you have the benefits of time
0: mm.
1: you you're looking obviously you're more you're probably more risk adverse because it's your first couple of years so look into you know slightly more risk adverse question uh, risk adverse investments um look at look at things like etfs so etfs are ex- exchange traded funds which are very cheap very accessible and they can give you exposure to certain stock markets so if you have for the most common one would be spy which is the uh which it gives grants you exposure to the s p 500 which is the largest stock index in the world mm-hmm. equity index in the world and it just it's essentially the largest 500 companies in the us mm-hmm. so that's why i start to look at look at understanding what etfs are um what sort of exposure they give you and um and actually to be honest before all of that just look at uh just consider your your position how long do you want to be investing for what are the returns you're giving yourself you're, yeah. lo- you're expecting to achieve over this time horizon and what's the amount of risk you can take if you see and and probably if you think all oh, right if i can see my account by fall by 25 percent, i'm okay but anything below that i'm starting to get worried mm. cut that in half because you can say that now but like when you see your account in the red at 25 percent, it's hard to look at <laughs> <laughs> especially when it's money you've saved and you've worked hard for um it's a lot harder. So yeah, definitely, you know, reduced by that, by at least half.
0: Gotcha. Um, yeah,
1: that, that's a bad start, that, you know, really understanding yourself.
0: Gotcha. Uh, yeah. In this age, we just talked about how available, readily available information and knowledge is. How do you discern between a good source of knowledge and a bad source of knowledge?
1: It's cross-referencing. If you find that nine, nine out of ten of the sources you hit out there are saying similar or, or you know, saying something similar, consider all of those and consider the, the fact that it, 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 it's a bit more, it's a bit more fishy when it comes to investment views mm-hmm. and investment, con- investment views and sort of like definitions mm. when it comes to things like interest rates, you're probably more, yeah. everyone's going to probably give you the accurate definition of interest rates, gotcha. but if nine of the nine out of the 10 sources you find are telling you to buy a stock, that's a dif- that's a different thing altogether.
0: So if nine out of 10, sorry. I was going to yeah. say, if nine out of 10 sources are telling you to buy a stock, should you buy a stock?
1: Again, I'm not in the position to say, but I was, again, that's where it come, becomes subjective on who you are. I'm yeah. naturally contrarian. So if nine people said buy a stock, I'd probably end up selling it. Mm. And if nine people said, it, to be honest, if nine people said buy a, told me to buy a stock, I'd do a fair amount of research into what it is until so I found the reason that they were wrong. And then I will short it if I viewed If I was, if I had enough conviction that they were completely wrong, but yeah, that's you got to do your own homework, right? I mean, people can tell you whatever they want to tell you. That's their job. But I mean,
0: I I agree. I just feel like a lot of times it's about just even something as basic as like looking for fitness tips, right? There's Mm -hmm. so many resources out there, right? And no one really knows what, which one to look at.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's where you have, you over the years, and as you you know your investing process starts out, you start to become more discerning about that sort of stuff. You're sort of as you read more, as you start to see more and more market cycles, as you understand a bit more about your investments, you'll build an instinct, and that's what the best players in the game today have. Um, they have instinct, so they'll be able to, without much, without the amount of deliberation other people have, they can in a very short amount of time instinct instinct. Instinctively, that's one. I was, was going to say something else, but uh, instinctively can tell you what, um, what, what they got saying, what, what the direction of the stock is. So that's where, that's what the pros do. But bu- building that is important in your, um, in your investment path, right? You need to be able to know when, uh, after you start to see many market right. cycles and many interest rate regimes and all that sort of stuff.
0: So and it's kind of like.
1: You need- yeah.
0: It's kind of like reading a book on playing basketball. You can't learn how to play basketball by reading a book. You've got to go outside and go get scratched up a little bit and play a few games, maybe score a few baskets, and that's how you learn. Exactly. Um, how? So obviously with that in mind, you go out to the court, you get scratched up, no big deal, put on a little Band-Aid, go out, go out there again, but with money – especially when it's your hard earned money like you said before is there a good place for someone to start meaning should you have a certain amount of bank a sumo- certain amount in your bank before you decide to play with this kind of stuff cuz like you said it can get addictive yeah,
1: yeah of course um yeah At the end of the, it's not a game <laughs> At right the end of the day, so it's uh, um so i want to call it you don't play the stock market You mm-hmm. trade or you invest this is terminology i would use um most important thing is to cash flow your account if you're if you do if your soul if your sole job is as is trading and investing, it can it can put a lot of pressure on your lifestyle. Yeah. So cash flowing your account is really important. Have a full time job which gives you I don't know ten thousand bucks a month or something
0: mm-hmm.
1: and slice off a chunk of that and make sure it goes into your investment account every month mm-hmm. without you know without question. You know. And when you get a bonus, you know, put a put a large chunk of that into your investments. And that's sort of where that's where anyone would recommend you start because you need to know how much money you're taking home and how much money, what are your expenses? Right. From there, you can know how much you're saving and saving and investing are in the same basket because they're outside of consumption and income. So, gotcha. That's where I would I would definitely begin is know how much money you're making, know how much your expenses are, and how much you, are you able to save given your current lifestyle. You may have to you know scale back certain aspects of your lifestyle you may find that you're actually, if you were a bit more stringent on your spending and, you know, looking at the numbers a bit more, you may actually find you have more money than you think. So, cool. Cash flowing your account.
0: Awesome. Uh, yeah. As a millennial who knows how to do this kind of stuff, what do you think is the biggest advantage for you right now that you started when you were 20?
1: it's mm, a tough question. Uh, <laughs> the biggest advantage I have that I started early
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I'm mostly thinking in terms of like, well, what if I go my entire life without investing ever? I mean, nothing would happen. I wouldn't die. But what am I missing out on here?
1: For me, it's a passion. So it's difficult for me <laughs> to say. It's like, it's what it's like, it's fulfilling to me. It's like my life career. It's my career. It's mm. my life. Um, you would. Okay. The uniqueness of the financial markets is that once you start to read about it, there's a you start to know there's information that's tied to it, which is very, very global. So things like demographics, politics, geography, all that ties into the financial markets in one way or another. Mm. And, uh, you know, prime example is things like the North Korea conflicts. You saw risk assets move around a lot. You know, Trump's tweets, uh, yep. things like tariffs, tax bills, all this sort of stuff. Um, it's It's knowledge at the end of the day. And if you like learning, if you like, you know, understanding about, being self-aware on current events mm-hmm. um just the state of the world politics all that sort of stuff current affairs all of that ties into the financial markets so it's 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 an exploration of knowledge and understanding and it's and also it's just an accelerating feeling when you make it you know, when you make an accurate investment and over like your horizon over your time horizon you you make money it's it it falls and it falls into, you know it gives you options in life if you want to if you want to take a month off and go to you know some funky destination in South right. America that <laughs> nobody goes to, but you can do that. You can you can do that because you have some saved up. If you want to buy a house, if you're married, you want to go on a honeymoon, all that sort of stuff. And then your money is you actually to...
0: generating some income for you yeah, if you exactly. do well. Yeah.
1: If not, all the pressure is on how much you take home. Gotcha. If you, if you can inherit a hundred million dollars, you know it's a different story. But if you're you know, a regular individual, and you know you care about your financial security over the long run. Investing is one hundred and fifty percent the way to go. And all investing does is it teaches you how to manage money. And if you do it well enough over the long term, it just gives you options. That's what money is. Money is just options.
0: So it gives you a bit of freedom as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. Um, so the I'm go- I'm going to close off by asking you a question that's a little bit more future based. I think one of the things that uh, we're living through that a lot of people don't talk about is the fact that we're, co- we're changing the ways that we're communicating. A lot of the algorithms on the social media platforms that we're on, like Facebook, Instagram, they, keep fee- they only feed you things that you already currently like. So with the financial market being so closely tied to politics um, and just geographical changes and things that are happening around us, the narrower your, your worldview the less likely you are to make an informed decision regarding the financial markets. Correct. Would you say that?
1: that Yeah. Um, What do I say to that? I say that you need, I mean, I think a lot of social media out there is, is pointless. To be very honest, I get no value. I like literally check Facebook once a millennium and I don't have Instagram, Snapchat, all that sort of stuff. I think it's pointless because there's no, it doesn't give me any form of value to so some people it does. And that's fantastic, mm-hmm. but I'm being aware that the algorithms are built this way to, you know, basically advertise you a certain market that you're interested in. If you're aware of that, you can notice it straight away. You can, you're aware that every time an, an advertisement pops up, it's targeted to you because you spent money in something similar or searched something similar in the past, and that should compel you to look when you want to find certain information about something else. Say you're really big into fitness, mm. but at the same time, you want to explore, uh, you want to be a, like a chef or something, or you want to le- learn how to cook a new meal,
0: mm.
1: you know, you sort of go outside that realm. So actively search outside of it. Don't use the current mechanisms, you know. And to be honest, Google does that. Google does, you know, send certain investment, uh, like investments your way. Yeah. But at the same time, it doesn't if you if you type in something completely different. So if you type the interest rates today, it's not going to, T- like tell you about how you can invest in interest rates, for example. Right. It's probably gonna still give you quite objective information.
0: I mean, when two people type in the same exact same thing from the sa- exact same location, they get vastly different results.
1: Really, I didn't know that. That's kind yeah. of yeah.
0: Cool. So, oh. like, if oh. you and I were sitting side by side right now and we typed in the same thing, interest rates, mm. we would get very different results. Oh, that's
1: cool. Um, and
0: and it's mostly influenced by not just your search pattern, but also. Um, because Google, a lot of people use Gmail. So that's tied into what you already receive. Yeah. And so in my mind, the question I have is, is there a way to escape that paradigm? So obviously what you know informs what you invest in.
1: Yeah. um, Yes, of course.
0: So Um, then if what you know is constantly reinforced, like say you're a Trump supporter, right? And all you know is just that Trump is great. He's awesome. And he's whatever. How do you get out of your own paradigm so that you can invest in something that maybe more maybe actually more close, closer to the reality that everyone else is living or the actual reality itself.
1: You gotta well two things. What probably widen your your window. Mm-hmm. So your your search your search gate, you need to expand it. You need to look up the contradictory views, right? So you have to if I was for example, if I was a pro-Trump supporter and I was thinking about this from an investment standpoint. Mm-hmm. I would look into his history. Obviously, I would understand what kind of individual he is. I would look at some videos on YouTube. I mean, this is a very long-winded way. This is not like a how investments work. But look at what he's advocating in his in his policies. Mm-hmm. And if, if CNN is telling you one thing, and then CNBC is telling you a completely different thing, and on top of that, a third source is saying something completely different as well, I would be very worry, wary about how um, using that concept of, of Trump getting to office as an investment opinion. Gotcha. But if I look at three companies' ba- if I look at the same, com- if I look at Apple's balance sheet on three different websites, they're more like more than likely going to be the same because Apple releases them officially. Mm. And if if Bloomberg was for whatever reason lying to the whole world about Apple's um, Apple's balance sheet, you know it it they they can't physically lie because it's literally a conference call. So right, um, there is there's information that's peddled to you, but there's also there's also a fair amount of it out there that is uh, objective.
0: Mm-hmm. So Got that you. is
1: objective and accessible. They're just widen your horizon and look up the contradictory views because okay, it, it, it can't be both. I mean, I'm, with Trump is a different ball game, <laughs> but it can't be like, it can't be like that, you know, GDP growth in Argentina on one website is 18% and another website is negative 5%. That's right. like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's still numbers at the end of the day. It's still one or the other.
0: Okay. Um, yeah last question if you had any parting advice for millennials in terms of managing their money what would it be if they do one thing after listening to this
1: okay uh a big ask <laughs> um uh, i don't want to put too much pressure on one thing mm-hmm. because it it's a it's a lifestyle
0: or maybe like the most basic thing
1: the most basic things uh, uh, okay I'll, uh, you know i'll give the brochure a few key points one know how much money you're making, know how much you're spending, and know what your time horizon is. Know what you're willing to risk, and know what you want to gain. If I spoke to someone today that was uh, was spending eight thousand dollars a month, um, was happy to risk everything, and wanted to make a hundred million dollars in three years, I mean, there's a whole mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole we have to have a seriously long conversation. Actually, to be honest, the opposite. You can have a very short conversation with that person because it's just unachievable. But so, <laughs> yeah. so be very honest about it, get a piece of paper out and write all that down and go, is this achievable? If you want to make, if you're making $10,000 and you spending $8,000 and you can save $2,000 a month, money that's this 24K, and you want to make a million dollars in the next five years, just crunch the numbers, right? So what's uh, 24 times 5 is 120K and you want to make, that means it has to go up roughly 10 times in the next five years. One investment is going to give you 10 times mm. return in five years with limited downside risk. Not a lot to be very frank. Cool. So understand yeah. where you're coming from, how you're approaching the investment and what what, what your current lifestyle is. Cause that's going to affect, um, that's going to, that's, that's going to predetermine everything else.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. that That's super helpful. And I think that's something that at least all of us can have some basic, um, starting blocks with so thanks so much Uh, Phil
1: Yeah,
0: I hope I can add some value to some some people's lives (laughs) I'm sure you did thank you so much and that's it it's a wrap and to all three of you who made it all the way to the end thank you so much for listening before you leave I would love to put power in your hands to give me a story or someone to interview that you'd love to see on this podcast so hit up Instagram type in at better podcast and leave me a message. Thanks, guys. Peace.